Two sisters, two ways. Hi, I'm Raquel. And I'm Sarita. Parallel Ways is a podcast of sisters sharing insights into their millennial lives. Welcome back to the podcast. We hope everyone had a great weekend and that you're re-energized for the upcoming week. Do you have anything big happening? Well, I do. Next weekend, I'm going to Palm Springs. So that means I had to start packing yesterday. Sorry, but when do you ever pack in advance? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I am notorious. For packing as you're walking out the door. Pretty much. Or like within the last few hours. But I had some time yesterday to relax and I just started gathering the things I would need. We're staying at an Airbnb, so we have to bring our own towels. So I thought I would just mentally prepare and also pull together a couple of cute outfits because I can't remember the last time I had to like pack and wear like cute outfits. Like even when I go to L.A., I'm usually in loungewear the entire time. Why do you have to dress cute this time? Oh, this is like my first trip, like post-vaccinations. Yeah. So maybe it's not like you have to, but it's like getting back to normal and you usually try to look presentable. Yes, I'm always presentable. (laughs) Trust me, I have evidence of you not being presentable. (laughs) I've also been doing this challenge with my friend of getting 15,000 steps a day. So unlike Apple Watch, you can do like competitions, right? They max you out though at 600 points. You can't get more than that. But this girl is super aggressive. So I've been really competitive and I've been eating really well. So I'm feeling extra good about myself. So, you know, I want to find cute outfits. Don't you feel like, at least I feel this way, that your wardrobe just feels stale? Yes, which is why I bought a couple of cute things. You told me that I should be wearing high-waisted shorts with like bodysuits. And so I bought a pair and then I bought a bodysuit. Wow. Well, you need to show me later. Yeah. Usually you have me approve your, your new purchases. It's true. And I'll be like, nope, you need to return that one. Yeah. I just, I'm just such a visionary at times that the creative part gets past me and I don't really you know, figure out what looks good on me. I wouldn't necessarily say you're a visionary when it comes to your fashion <laughs> sense. You actually stay really um, in, in the, the same lane. Yeah, and I'm the one trying to get you out of it. But the reason why I'm like that is because I know what looks good on me. Like, I'm not going to wear whatever everyone else is wearing because clearly that's not going to look good on me. Like, you don't see me wearing things that look good on your body. I'm still trying to figure out what looked good on my body. (laughs) Mm. Mm. All right, well, transitioning into this episode, we're going to be talking about all things food and our thoughts on the millennial generation's obsession with food. So speaking of millennials' obsession with food and their willingness to pay for these dining experiences, earlier this week, I was on Dave Ramsey. I follow him on his Facebook page. He listed the top 10 states that had the most millionaires. And so where do you think Arizona falls on that list? See, I wouldn't even think we were top 10, but I guess maybe there's a lot of transplants from other cities. I'll go with the safe six. I would say that I know that there, you know, we have a lot of athletes and a lot of people that retire here. So I assume that we had a lot of money. But yeah, in terms of top 10, I was like, oh, we are. And what did you say? Six. Ding, 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 ding. Lucky number six. <laughs> six is my like, go-to. I'm like, dang it, you're no fun. Okay, so let me share. Arizona is six, has the six most millionaires in the country. Here's the top 10. Can you guess number one? New York. 
LA. Yeah. California. Well, you're talking, we're talking about states. Yeah. So California is one. New York is second. Florida. 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 <laughs> Florida. Florida. Okay. What's number four? Chicago. Mm, no. What's the other big state? Oh, I keep listing cities. Uh, so not Illinois. Texas? Yes. Tejas? Yeah, Texas. And then number five is Illinois. Oops, sorry, I got it wrong. You're actually not right. <laughs> what? What is it? Pennsylvania is number six. Okay. Arizona is number seven. New Jersey, eight. Ohio, nine. And ten is Massachusetts. Ohio? Yeah. How's Ohio that's on that list? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, why did you bring up millionaires? I thought you were going to bring up housing. Oh, housing is a whole other thing. But I'm just saying that I saw that fact and I was like, you wouldn't necessarily think Arizona would be in the top 10. Oh, I thought you brought up that fact because of the whole avocado toast thing in the title of our episode. Well, yeah, like people spend money. Okay, so do you know where the avocado toast thing came from? What do you mean where it came from? Like the fact that people make fun of millennials? Yes. I mean, I So there was a 60 Minutes episode. Where this guy talked about buying a house and he said, well, if millennials stopped paying $15 for avocado toast, they would be able to buy a house. And that kind of went viral and sparked all of it. Now, I eat avocado toast at least two to three days a week, but I make it at home. Yeah. Now, let me ask, have you ever paid $15 for avocado toast? No, because they usually don't have gluten-free bread at the places where they're charging $15. I would say the most I paid is 12 Jesus. I could do it for you. And you know what? It was like a loaded avocado toast. So it had like the Onions. locks on there, onion, oh. tomato, you know. So I, I, thought it, I thought it was worth it. I didn't know you were a Dave Ramsey fan. I'm not a Dave Ramsey fan, but I'm a financial education student. So I feel like I need to see what other people are doing and talking about when it comes to money. I don't understand why he has to be so angry. He's not. That's his tone. That's his like radio voice. Did we? Okay, remind me. We did listen to him, right, on the radio growing up. Was, that, was he the one that <laughs> we, we listen, listened to in the car? We would listen to like three people. Mind you, we're like in the back of the van. Dad's driving home from Chinatown. It's like a 45-minute drive. Or maybe we went to like Wisconsin for the day. We would listen to Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> Kim Commando, and Dave Ramsey. But it, it was primarily like the scratchier voice is Rush Limbaugh. And Sean Hannity. Did we listen to Hannity? Yeah, we listened to, it was Limbo and Hannity. No, Limbaugh. Limbo. No, Limbaugh. I call him Limbo. <laughs> and all those years you would think that we like really knew what they were saying. No, but, but they were just, just really angry. All they, of them. they always seemed angry and it just was like background noise for us playing in the back of the van, like screaming. <laughs> Did you know that Kim Commando lives in Phoenix? Yeah. And that she recently put her $6.5 million house on sale. I did not know that, but I know where her studio is. Oh. Maybe I knew she was in Phoenix, but it just didn't click with me until I saw that article. Yeah. That she was selling her house. Let's dive into today's episode. The word foodie. When you hear the word foodie, what do you think? People who are obsessed. So obsession. Number two is hidden gems. People know the good stuff, right? That may not be the obvious choice to go. And the third one is community, right? Like foodies have this community and they have something in common with other people. And I feel like for foodies that I found in my life, they're like some of the easiest people to get along with because you have so much in common with them. Yeah, I agree with you. So when I think of foodie, I mean, for me, there's so many things that comes to mind. So I think about people who have an interest in food. 
interests, meaning they like to cook food, they like to eat food, they like to watch food. I also think about people who know like the good spots to eat and that they appreciate good food regardless of price, that they'll go to divey hole in the walls, but then they also appreciate really nice restaurants. And then I think about people who keep up with food trends and also just always being in the know. I guess my question is, have you come across people who say that they're foodies and then they recommend restaurants to you and you're like, mm, that's off base or I wouldn't consider that a good place. And then does it diminish how you feel about them calling themselves a foodie? Have I experienced that where someone recommended something and it was not good? Absolutely. Yes. And I'm just like, okay, well, I know that their range of what they consider good is not the same as mine. So I think you have to find the same type of foodie you are. Yeah. And those are the people that I feel like I can click instantaneously with. But, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think of those people as less than because food is so subjective. So people's experience with food is so different. Maybe in their eyes, that's what's good. You know, even though it may not be your version of good. Yeah. For me, I lose a little bit of confidence in them. So I have a friend who moved here from San Francisco and she enjoys good food. And I would say the same types of food as me. And she was looking for a sushi place. And I had recommended this one place to her. Well, I see her a couple weeks later and she ends up going to one of those revolving sushi places. Which there's no good ones here. You could never catch me at a revolving sushi place. P and I went to one in Japan and I didn't even think the one in Japan was good. And she comes back and she's like, maybe it wasn't a revolving one. It might have been an all you can eat. And she was like, that place was not good. I can't believe you recommended that. And I was like, me? I was like so offended that she would think that I recommended a crappy sushi joint to her. And I was like, no, here's the place you should go to. So we went to that place with her and she was like, ah, this is more like authentic, like legit. I won't call myself a foodie, but someone who like knows good spots and appreciates good high quality food. I was like mortified that she would even think I would recommend this place to her. <laughs> I feel like you would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just, the most important thing I need to come across to you is that I did not recommend I did. That. I said that. <laughs> You're like, I have to defend my reputation. I did. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a defense of my, my reputation. So how would you describe yourself as it pertains to the word like foodie? Do I call myself a foodie? Yes, but I don't think it started that way. I actually think a lot of people called me a foodie. And I even tried to think about what I give off to make people think that, but I must be like really obsessed with food or like think about it all the time or talk about it or want to eat stuff. I don't, I don't know. But like, I feel like people in our family have called me that or like friends have called me that. And I just have this huge interest. People are like, oh, you're so interested in food. Maybe that's what I talk about. And that's how it kind of came about. Well, maybe it's because you have a baking blog. You also have an Instagram that's dedicated to food. You know, like I don't have those things. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like those things. Well, okay, not the blog. That was from a long time ago. But like the Instagram that was established relatively recently in comparison to like, I guess, how long people have said that I've loved food. So you said you don't consider yourself a foodie. Uh, I don't know. I I know you don't like labels and yeah, to put yourself in a box. That's where it comes from. I just don't like labels. Do you think other people perceive you as a foodie? Yes. I appreciate good food and I have an interest in learning about chefs and restaurants, but I don't enjoy cooking. So I think <sighs> that... <laughs> 
I think the fact that I don't enjoy cooking turns people off from like, how could she like or appreciate food? I mean, maybe it's because I know you, but I can see that. But when I think about the word foodie, like you kind of broke it down of people who could eat the divey places, the nice places, they like to watch it and kind of learn about it. And then people that cook, I don't know, for me, I don't really think cooking is probably the lowest one on that list. Like to me, foodies, it's like you go out and you seek as opposed to create. Okay. I agree that there are parts of like the word foodie that's probably like, yeah, I like to create it too, because I have that in me. Yes, I had a coworker who loved food, loved to eat equally as much as I did. And I was like, oh man, I am like the rib queen. I am like the queen of ribs all day, every day. And he's like, oh really? What kind of ribs do you make? Like, do you do dry rib or red rib? <laughs> and I was like, oh no, no, no. I, I'm a connoisseur. I, I am the... I, I am the eater of the ribs. Consumer. I don't make, Yes, I consume them. I don't make them. But he just right away had jumped to, oh, she makes ribs and she's into it. So that's maybe where I feel a little uneasy of calling myself a foodie because yeah. I don't like to cook. And maybe that's where the title of foodie that I've gotten is because I, I've baked a lot and I bake for other people and they see that. So they kind of equate, equate the two. Another thing is that I feel like you're really big on like the exploration of food through watching yeah like you like food documentaries and you'll watch like certain cooking shows but not like the ones like on the food network like that's where my wheelhouse is like if i'm watching i like competitions and i like the food network where you like more of the documentary or exploration around the world or like a creative spin like kind of deep diving a little bit more into like the food scene which i don't really yeah, that's a fair really. thing. And I think we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we watch or do to explore food. But I just feel like the word is ubiquitous and it doesn't really, in fact, describe anything distinct. I think that's my beef with the whole word. And it's because so many people call themselves a foodie, not really knowing like good food. And so. Um, but that in of itself is subjective, right? Like you I can't know. say that someone doesn't I know, know I'm so good judgmental. food. Oh, <laughs> I need to be less judgmental. Because to them, like going to like In and Out is good food. Okay, I, I don't, I don't disagree. In and Out yeah. is great, except the patties are very thin. Yeah, mom ruined me when she <laughs> once she said that. I'm like, dang it, I they, can't look at In and Out the same anymore. It is all lettuce. Yeah, it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate that. I definitely do appreciate it. But I'll, I'll give you an example. At my old work. I sat next to like a sales team, all men. And I was kind of like the adopted female because I worked in a different business line, but I sat like right next to them. And they said, hey, Sarita, we're doing a chili uh, challenge. Oh gosh, the story. <laughs> if you recall, I said, oh, that's great. And they're like, we make excellent chili. Like all these guys here are like top notch. They're like, are you going to enter? And I was like, you know, I don't really like to cook, but yeah, sure. I'll enter for fun. So I called you that day after work and I said, No, hey. we lived together. Oh, did we? Yeah. And I said, Hey, I need to make chili for a chili challenge. I really want to get inspired. How do you feel about a miso chili? And I said, You are out of your mind. <laughs> and that is disgusting. And don't do it. And I think this was after the cupcake incident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The St. Patty's Day cupcake. So I was like, you need to lay low, lay low. <laughs> so you were like, just do a, a good basic chili with some good flavors, like fresh ingredients. So I'm like, God, where is my chili exposure been? And I'm like, ah, oh, Wendy's. I eat chili at Wendy's. 
Um, and so I was thinking about what Wendy's puts in their chili. Their chili is a little soupy, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. So I made a chili. Probably 12 people were entered into this challenge. I ended up finishing third. I, who do not cook, finished third in this challenge. And I tasted all these chilies. And I would say maybe four of them were reasonable. The other ones were downright nasty. Nasty, nasty, nasty. It so- makes me want to question that guy, if you're being judgmental about foodies, if he truly, in fact, is a foodie and what he constitutes good chili. Yes. Was his one of the ones that was good? No. <laughs> No, that but that's what I'm saying. So yeah. all these experiences have kind of jaded my view of this word foodie because I'm like, whatever, anyone can call themselves a foodie and suddenly they put them in the box of being like cool and they're really not. So when we think about food in general, what has shaped your perspective on food in your life? And maybe I'll start because I actually was thinking about this and I think the first thing that came to mind that really shaped how I view food is mom. You know, mom is just such an excellent cook. And while she cooked predominantly Chinese food, she could kind of do it all and she wasn't afraid to try it. And she's always really enjoyed cooking. So one day we might have meatloaf. Next day we might have casserole. Then we'd go back to like steamed fish and Chinese vegetables. And it was nice at home because we always had a lot of variety. It was never really a simple meal unless it was like on the weekends. You know, I talked to P and he says that I'm a difficult eater. Not because I'm picky. But because I'm like, that's it? We're just eating salmon and broccoli today? Yeah, I say the same thing. (laughs) And it is really mom because she would always have several dishes. Even if she was doing a casserole, it would be like, oh, here, I also made this bread. And there was vegetable medley or mashed potatoes or something. Yeah. Yeah, there was always so much variety and we would always share and eat like family style. So that's kind of like my perspective when it comes to food. And then when I started dating P, He loves to try new restaurants and somehow knows all the good spots in every major city. And I realize he just spends a lot of time on Yelp. And then he reads up on food places as well. Earlier, you were talking about food shows and how I don't really watch things in the Food Network, which I say is pretty true. Like the food shows that I watch, like Top Chef, we used to watch that together. And that was like one of my favorite shows for a long time. Yeah, I love Top Chef. Great show. Have you ever seen uh, Chef's Table on Netflix? Um, I mean, I've seen it in like uh, as an option, but do I ever click on it to actually watch it? No. Oh, that's like one of my favorites. P and I will sit there and watch Chef's Tables. And that's what you were saying. It's more of like a documentary about the chef, the restaurant, and taking a deep dive into how they're sourcing the food, the techniques, and also like the chef's experience. Yeah. And I feel like for me, the approach that I take, at least from watching tv on food is i think about like fundamentals and technique but that's because my perspective comes from like wanting to learn and to recreate or to be inspired in like what it is that i do which you don't do which explains why the food network does not interest you yes yeah you're right maybe that that's why there's that difference there i'm looking at it more from like an art form and i'm looking at it from like a craft a craft perspective I would say that, yes, mom would cook all that food when we were younger, but I never thought of it as something that was like exceptional or meticulous. I just, it just was what it was. Man, I hope mom's not listening to this. No, no, no. I mean it in the way of like, (laughs) 
I was kind of spoiled because it was just the expectation because that's how we grew up. Oh, you know? the fact that she could make yeah. like five dishes yeah. and they would all be come out at the same time and yeah. be ready. It's just normal. It's just what it was. Yeah. You know, but now that I'm older and I'm like cooking meals and stuff, I'm like, dang, this thing is cold. I, <laughs> I finished that 20 minutes ago. But I think my inspiration for the creation part came from when we were little and mom would be making all these things. So if you remember, remember we would always help mom make cookies. She doesn't really make cookies anymore, but she used to. Yeah. And she would always have you measure the flour or um, go put something in the mixer and then have you mix it while she was working on something else. And I remember like then once the dough was done, she would say, oh, sir, roll like, you know, for like the thumbprints, roll it into balls or whatever. And I said, oh, I could do it. And I remember one time mom was like, oh, no, you, you. You can't do it. You, your hands aren't delicate enough. She goes, you're so rough with everything. So one time we were like, we really want to make cookies. And mom said, fine, pick anything in the cookbook to make yeah. in the cookie book. You pick the thumbprints, which mom had made before. But I picked this different recipe with those black and white cookies. Ooh, that was a and so mom said, nightmare. okay, if you're going to make cookies, you're responsible for getting all the ingredients and then I'll help you put it all together. So I'm like reading and gathering and et cetera. I ended up putting in three times the amount of butter <gasps> because I didn't realize cups versus pounds. <laughs> so I put in like three and a half times the amount of butter because I read pounds differently from the cup. And so mom is like looking at the dough and she's like, this is not right. And so she's going back and checking my work. And she was like, you got too much butter. Now we have to do this. And she was trying to fix it. Long story short, the cookies turned out terrible. And I felt like that just reinforced um I'm not a good baker. I'm not meant to do this. Clearly, you're the more natural one of the two of us. And I just figured, oh, it's not like a thing for me. And then one time when we went to the grocery store, I told mom, I'm like, hey, can I get these like chips, chips away or something like some sort of cookie? And mom's like, why do you want to eat that for? That's like packaged cookies. Why don't you just make them yourself? And I was like, well, I'm not good at it and I don't know how to. And mom said, let's go home and I'll show you how to make cookies. So I still did all of the work, but mom showed me and then she goes, oh, these cookies turned out great and good or whatever. And I feel like it gave me the confidence to say like, oh, okay, mom doesn't think I'm a disaster in the kitchen. That's such an interesting perspective because when I fail at stuff like that, I go, oh, that was bad. And then I kind of like move on. I never like internalize and think like, oh, well, I'm not going to do this ever again because I failed at it. Well, you know, I recount these stories, but there were many instances where, like, if mom needed an assistant in the kitchen, it was you. It was you. me, yeah. Yeah. I do recall to that. To cut, to wash stuff or whatever. She even said one time, she goes, look at Rock's hand. She, like, massages, like, and squeezes stuff with her hand. She's like, she's not gentle. Yes. I'm slow, but I take more care in doing and, things. And your hands are just, you just have a more delicate nature about how your hands move. Yeah. You know? That's why even now... Like a couple of years ago when you were like, oh, I'll help you make the thumbprint cookies. I was like, good, take them. You do make them look prettier. <laughs> yeah, because I care about like the presentation. <laughs> I care, but like, I, sh- I, you know, I'm doing so many things and I got big fingers and maybe they aren't as delicate. <laughs> I don't know. You said you watch Food Network shows. What shows or like who do you actually watch? My ride or dies are Jada and Ina Garden. And back in the day, I loved Jada as like a personality, but I would make some of her recipes and they weren't like the greatest. Like she made them look good and how she talked about it. You're like salivating. But Ina Garden gives you like quality recipes. 
So if I'm ever looking for something basic that I don't make that often and I want to try a recipe, I will go see if Ina has made it and then use Ina's recipe. Like Ina's brownies are delicious. That's my go-to brownie. I always say if there's two celebrity chefs I could ever meet in this world, it would be Ina Garden and Eric Repair. I told he he's going to propose to me. He should take me to Le Bernardine oh, in I would love New to York Le and have Eric Repair propose to me on his behalf. Propose to me on his behalf. Yeah. He's very nice. He's a he's very nice. so chef. nice. And yeah. Ina is so nice. And you're right. Ina cooks for Jeffrey. I would love to just have a meal and sit down and hang out with Ina and Jeffrey. Oh, I would love to hang out with Jeffrey. Yes, I'm also a big Ina fan because of, you know, Jennifer Gardner and their relationship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I will say that I was always very engaged when I watched 30 Minute Meals with Rachel Ray. I would say her recipes I wouldn't necessarily make. It's just not my style of what I eat, but she's a great personality and she would always engage me. So I would just love watching her cook. I wouldn't necessarily eat what she cooks. Yeah, I agree. And 30 Minute Meals, who was prepping that celery in that Ziploc bag? Yeah, Everything was always prepped. I was like... Those celery were like perfectly chopped. Oh, I know. You know what show you should watch that's kind of a mix of like fundamentals, but also the art stuff? Uh, the Chef Show. Have you ever seen that? No. It features Roy Choi. Do you know who Roy Choi is? Yes. Kogi Beef Truck Guy and John Favreau producer, actor, everything. John Favreau did a movie a few years ago where he was playing a chef. So they brought in Roy Choi to kind of like help him with like the chef aspects, right? Like how to hold a knife, help him get into character and stuff. And then they, I guess, became friends and they go on these food adventures. Oh, yes. I've watched that with you. Yeah. Now that you yeah. It. Like Ivan Ramen is on there. Ivan Orkin. So, you know, there's like a million ramen places in Japan. Ivan is this like Caucasian guy and he blew up in Japan, which was like so foreign to them to have a non-Japanese person creating ramen that everyone loved. And then uh, have you ever been to the bakery in San Francisco called Tartine? No. Oh, you would love it. It's like the crustiest bread, like really rustic desserts. But Chad Robertson and Elizabeth Pruitt, the owners of Tartine, are on episodes. So he goes into like these restaurants and these places that like we actually go to or that we've tried. So it's really fun to see like places that you've been to. Yeah, Yeah. the behind the scenes and like places that we've become familiar with. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I do watch a lot of that documentary stuff. And then I go and try those places. Yeah. You know, when I went to Japan, speaking of Japan, we had some of the best bread there, like the crusty, because it has European influence there. Yes. Mom and I were so surprised, like, how good it was. Dad was like, we're here in Japan, and you guys want to eat bread, European bread? And Mom's like, but look at it. It looks so good. Yeah. It's like an art form. And, like, you know, pasta and pizza are big there, and it's something to do with, like, the influence. Yeah, yeah, that influence. And that's, like, the one thing we didn't try that we regret. Oh, yeah. You because got, we yeah. just and ran out of meals. I mean, every day it was like, let's think about where we wanted to eat. Yeah. I'm going to New York next month, and Brian was like, you can pick wherever you want to go. You, The agenda is up to you. And I just have been doing hardcore research on different restaurants oh. <laughs> that I want to go to and little bakeries and, and just have this, like, foodie, like, you, tour when I'm in You should go to Domo you Domo. Do That's that. the place, the sushi place that I went to with Brian when we were both there for a work trip. Oh. Domo Domo. Okay, Very that's good. good to know that that was the name because I came across another sushi place and he was like, is that the one I went no, to with no, your sister? No, no, Domo Domo. There's this really nice looking French restaurant that I potentially want to try. They have like the fixed menu there. I might do that. 
How much is the prefix? Uh, 160 something. Show, show me the thing. Do you know how many courses it is? Then I'll, I'll look four, at the items. I think. Three or four. One of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't solidified it, but the whole trip is going to be revolved around what I'm going to eat for the day. So I'm very, very excited. But to go back to just real quick that I thought of the Food Network, why I was attracted to Jada and Ina is because they were like the two people on the Food Network, like main people that would bake. in their show so i had an interest because i'm like oh yeah i want to watch the baking stuff as opposed to like rachel ray rachel ray's like i'm not a baker and i was like well that i'm gonna watch you less yeah and ina does a good job on her social media she'll put like her recipes sometimes for like her roasted chicken or uh, she does this like rustic apple tart i follow her because Sometimes she'll post those recipes. Yeah, and I I think I like her because sometimes food can be really, really good, but doesn't need to be complex. And her whole thing is about using like high quality ingredients, but making it simple because the quality she also makes it look a lot easier. Like I I know when you're handling dough, there's like timing constraints. When you're adding things into the mixer, like you're gonna not over mix. So she does a good job of making it look easy. But I get it. You mean she's more of like a fundamental. I want like a big glass jar to hold my flower like Ina and just yeah scoop it scoop it out so what comes to mind when you think of food as it relates to social media well I like to look at at people's pictures of food and I feel like I follow a lot of Asian Instagrammers that go and seek Asian food like different types of Asian food so food with Michael is a great one do you follow food with Michael where does Michael live uh, LA. Is he the one who posted the boba yeah. Starbucks? Okay. Yeah. You want to know a funny story? I was like, that is mean, Michael. I trust you. Okay. So Michael is this Instagram guy. And a few weeks ago, he posted something that said Starbucks was like now selling boba yeah. in their drinks. But really he made up. So <laughs> what's funny is P had showed me that post and he goes, oh, this is the guy that I know. And I'm like, what do you mean? No. So P and I did long distance for like four and a half years. Every time I would fly into town, he would go get me macarons at my favorite place called Honey and Butter. And at the time, it was before they had a storefront at Irvine Spectrum. They were still out of an Airstream in Costa Mesa. And he would go pick them up every time right before he got me at the airport. And the guy who worked there was Michael. So Michael would sell him these macarons and also like go check out these food places And so P like knew who he was and then just started following him. And then he just suddenly blew up. And then P told me that you were following him. And I said, "Ah." yeah, I followed him for like two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. His food is like great. And then he, you know, travels to Asia and he just had these like very luscious pictures. Everything he posts, I want to eat and try. And then a lot of restaurants will allow him to like go in and look at the behind the scenes and like how they make their food and whatever. So he's someone that I like. And then I like Mikey Chen on YouTube. Yeah. I love all of his videos. He does a really great job. So he primarily focused, I think, originally on airplane food. Like in in most of his videos in the beginning, it was all about like first class and he would fly and he would show you like different foods on like different airlines. Yeah. And then it kind of expanded to him vlogging on his vacations and he would go to Japan and go to 7-Eleven and he'd get this huge ass spread of all these things and he'd be like look at this look at this bread 
this is from 7-Eleven. Why is it so soft? And then he would go to Taiwan and their 7-Eleven and do the same thing. Yes. Right? And Hong Kong and their 7-Eleven. And he can put it down. I have never seen someone eat so much. And yeah. I he's sitting in one sitting. My stomach hurts watching him eat. Yes, he eats a lot. Yeah. So I, I've noticed that I tend to follow on social media like the Asian food bloggers. or. Do blog- you follow Nam Life? Yes, I do. Yeah, I love those that couple. They're like my fave. And the, the brother is the one who produces and does the videos, very similar to our brother. So hmm. I think it's kind of fun. On social media, every now and then, I'll get an urge to go and watch some bread face videos. What's that? Oh my gosh, you don't know bread face? It's this gal. She is Asian. And what she does is she buys different types of bread. <gasps> oh, yeah. And, and she'll she... like touch it for its buoyancy. Yeah. She'll like smash it. And then she'll put her face into yeah. the bread. Yes. Yes, I I know. I don't follow her, but I've seen videos. I don't follow her either, but sometimes there's just a But there's something very aesthetically pleasing (laughs) about taking your face and smashing it into a loaf of bread. And then she'll just like rub it. (laughs) She'll have a very sensual connection. Yeah, like she's touching it. So every now and then I'll feel the need to watch her. But um, do you watch mukbang videos? Do you know what mukbang videos are? Mukbang. Oh, yeah, you say it correctly. I don't know how to say it. (laughs) Mukbang. I love how you're trying to They're Korean, it. right? I would love to think that people would give me a view and a like for watching me eat food, but I'm not like an attractive eater. So But that's I think where you get the views. Like, you know, you give me a ribeye with a bone and people are like, that is the most unattractive thing you know that I've what, ever what, seen. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. Some people might find it attractive, especially when you have like the I don't do that. So mukbang videos, I guess, originated from Korea. It would be people filming themselves eating. They just got like super famous. So you'll see a lot of like American YouTubers, they'll say mukbang videos. And it essentially means they're going to be like eating and talking in their video. Yeah. But I am also not a graceful eater. So I also follow some folks locally when I want to stay up to date on like new flavors and collabs. Like we have a mochi donut place here that kind of blew up. And this girl makes phenomenal mochi donuts. Yeah. I follow her. May Mochi's Donut. M-A-I. Yes. I stalked her for a little while. She may get uneasy when she sees me now, but. (laughs) You did stalk her. (laughs) Yeah. You can get her donuts in three locations, downtown Phoenix at a ramen restaurant, a Chandler location, which she just opened up, but it's not open every day. And then the one that's open every day is the one in Apache Junction. But she does such a good job balancing like the light fluffiness the chewiness, and then not being too sugary. Because there's some other mochi donut places in the valley that are just like so sugary. And then the aesthetically like pleasing thing. And she's expanded. Yes. And she's done such a good job with her business model. I'm like so proud of her, but I can't say these things because she's going to think I'm crazy again. Like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I've approached her numerous times at this point. And just like shows her infatuation for this lady's donuts. <laughs> it's like borderline creepy. <laughs> I would be scared if I was the owner too. Why do you think our generation is so interested in food? Because people, A, like what's cool, right? So if there are people that are making it cool and with the accessibility of social media, I think it makes sense because a lot of people like food and a lot of people have that in common. But I also think about other generations like kind of stuck to food in more of the traditional ways of like you eat this type of cuisine right but our generation because everything has already been done before they're now being creative and innovative and fusion is a big thing taking two things that don't typically go together and making something new and I feel like that is what's really gotten 
the food scene to be so popular. I don't what know do how think? I feel about fusion someday. Someday, well, well, fusion. I don't necessarily mean fusion like you know American style and like Asian. Yeah, like I, not like that. But it's like taking two concepts or two techniques, techniques and putting it together, right? Or two flavors that don't typically go together and putting it together. Okay, yes, right. Like that's I agree what I mean that. by fusion. Usually, though, when a restaurant's got the word fusion in it, I kind of walk the other direction. You know, when you see fusion, somehow I always think like Asian, but it's not, you know? I, I don't know why I make that connection in my head. So that's why I tend to walk away. Yeah, don't put it in the fusion. title because the, the past experience I think is... it started off with like Asian fusion. And let's just slop it together and yeah. call it sloppy. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's also because food now is considered like an experience. When you go to these restaurants and you're paying a couple hundred dollars, it is this experience that's extending beyond just taste. And it's also incorporating like all of your senses. I also think there's some like prestige and exclusivity around it that makes it like appealing and intriguing. But food today, I think shows people that you're cultured. It's kind of like traveling. Exactly. It's like this local way of traveling within the U.S. I've been here. I've been there. And then if you've eaten in other places, then it's like, look, I'm cultured. I eat this. I eat that. I think also our generation has really pushed that level of accountability when it comes to our food, thinking about sourcing. You see all these documentaries that talk about where our food comes from. So I think all of these things play into why our generation is so interested in food. But when you boil it down, I mean, food is that thing that crosses over every culture. Yeah. And so I think that's why. That's why I say I'm like, there's a form of a sandwich in every culture. Oh, sandwich. Right? Like whether it's a dumpling, a taco. Do you follow that guy who, um, celebrities on sandwiches on Instagram? No. Oh. I'm not like. It's super cute. He has different celebrities like Bernie Sanders in his mittens. Oh. And he's sitting on a sandwich. Oh. It's really cute. Yeah, that'd be cute. So let's dive into some of like our experiences now. This is kind of the fun part where we can talk about like the best things we've ever eaten and stuff. So are you a part of any food subcultures? And I think I talked to you about this last week and you were like, what the hell are you talking I, about? Yeah. And you know what? I even went on Google and typed in, what is a food subculture? <laughs> and you know what showed up? Gluten-free. Yes, keto. Gluten and is. I was like, okay, this bitch doesn't even know. <laughs> no, that is a subculture though. That's a subculture of food. Like so, from a dietary Yeah. So like there's like raw foodists, there's like foragers. Yeah. Like it's more of like within food if you like specialize or really obsessed with something. Yeah. So the subculture that I'm obsessed with that I didn't want to tell you last week, but you probably already know, is miniatures. So there are people that will create like miniature stoves and then they'll cook mini food on it, like mini pancakes, mini spaghetti. I know that because you told me about that. And I've always been obsessed with miniatures. In Chicago, there used to be this restaurant called Minis and you would get these mini hamburgers, i.e. sliders, and they'd have the mini ketchup, the mini mustard. Everything was like miniature sized. That's cute. I would love that. I would say the only subculture that I feel like I'm a part of is like the Asian. Yeah, you the are. Asian subculture. Like I love to know what kind of like Korean hot dogs, boba, yeah. the crispy chicken wings, yeah. hot pot. All of it. Yeah, that's probably the subculture you're a part like, of. Like I already have like several places in Chinatown <laughs> in New York that I'm gonna go. There's like a five dollar barbecue place. Oh yes. Like five dollar duck rice. You know and- what? You should go on Nam Life because they highlight all the good Asian spots. Yeah. Go on there and People say it's like the best deal for like $5, like duck rice. She does a lot of those like reels. She'll be yeah. like best $5 dishes in Chinatown. Yeah. So you should check her out. Speaking of $5, I 
My favorite thing to eat in the whole wide world is wonton noodle soup. In Cantonese, it's called wonton min. And the best I've ever had it was in Singapore for $5 at a hawker stand. You can't get $5 here. Yeah, that's true. Well, remember, I think back in Chicago, it used to be $5. Oh, yeah. At the, I forget what the place, the. Uh, yeah, that noodle place. Yeah, I don't remember. Which, which, you know, it's no good no more. Yes. <laughs> so what is your favorite thing to eat and where is the best version of it that you've ever had? When I think about the best thing that I have eaten, and it's so good, and I was reminded the last time I went to Hong Kong, but anything that's on the street. Like, I remember when we went, when we were little, mom would just, like, stop on the street and buy something because it, like, looked good. Yeah. And I was like, this is a weird concept, buying, like, food on the street. But then you realize that's, like, where the good stuff is, going to night markets and eating stuff there or whatever. And so growing up, mom and dad went to that bubble waffle place in Hong Kong. And when I went most recently with them two years ago, they like remembered where the stand was. And now that I'm older and I can really take in like the scenery, it's in this like little narrow like shack that they have like she has like three or four bubble waffle machines that she's just like flipping and giving. And there's this like huge line that's outside. And you think it's like run down and it looks kind of industrial and it's just like this hidden little gem it's probably like two feet wide those are my favorite spots though when there's like a long ass line in singapore we're at this hawker stand and the food rush starts coming and it's all these people that are coming from like their work buildings nearby so they're in like their white shirts and black slacks and this line just starts forming and dad without a beat was like watch the table he's like i gotta get in line and i was like dad you don't even know what they're selling he's like it doesn't matter (laughs) and it's like 85 degrees in Singapore, like 75% humidity. It was hot fish noodle soup. (laughs) And I'm sure he got one. And he got like three bowls because mom got one. And then he wanted me and P to try it too. I'm I'm eating my one ton noodle soup and I'm like sweating. But I was like, this is amazing. You've got this fan blowing hot air, like a hairdryer at us. And you're just sweating eating hot noodle soup. Yeah. And then when we were in Hong Kong that trip too, I wanted the, uh, they call it like the horseshoe or the oxtail donut. Now they sold. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I really wanted that because you get it anywhere else like in the world and it's just not good. Yeah. So mom and dad was like, ah, I don't really know a specific place that's going to be good. But there was a place across the street from our hotel. They had a little display with like a glass door, you know, and they had now they sold in there. And they're like, oh, let's just try it. It was 90 cents and it was the best thing ever. Yeah. And when we're leaving, mom was like, we got to get another one. And she's not a huge fan of it. Dad is more of a bigger fan. Yeah. But that's hard to find. Like, it is I hard to find. But I, it's just like little things like that. It's my happy place. Oh, man. Yeah. He would love that. Yeah. So what's the best meal you've ever had then? I don't know if I could say the best meal, if I can even recount, but there are some places that are really, really good. And when I went to Toronto two years ago, I went to this place called Mira, uh-huh. and it was a Peruvian street fair, upscale Peruvian street fair food. And it's typically not like the flavor profiles that even attract me or that I really love, but everything there was just so well done. Like we got the appetizers, we had like this short rib dish. It was just so good. Everything was so balanced. That's the huge word that I would use in that entire meal. 
And then we had these like craft cocktails. I was like, I don't even know what it is. Just make me something that's good. And it was so good. Yeah. And it even had like, um, they put some like pepper, like a spicy, to give it like a spicy flair. And for me, who's like not a huge like spice person was like, this is delicious. And the dessert was some chocolate dessert. I don't even know what it was. Some chocolate concoction. And it was like beautifully presented to me. And it was like one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. Yeah. And I wanted to go to this foodie pad thai place that is like really popular in toronto because you wouldn't even think toronto is like a huge foodie town oh absolutely so many different cultures i love toronto there. and it was so full at this like pad thai place so i'm like let's see what else is in the area oh i booked marked this mira place let's just go and it yeah. was so good it's hard for me to think of like the best meal because like yeah, you said like even when i think about a place that i really loved i can't really like recount that many dishes right of what i've had right but we've been to so many good like one of nancy silverton's restaurants where i loved it um la there's p's favorite restaurant is uh called bestia there's also this place. i want to go to bestia it's oh on my list. we go to yeah. bestia all the t- yeah we go all the time every time like we've got a major thing to celebrate we go to bestia but when i think about like the meal that i remember most as just being like a happy meal was the very first like uh, mcdonald's happy meal <laughs> It was the very first date that P and I went on years ago. We went to Tom Calico's restaurant at MGM, Craft State. It was a prefix, but every course came with the chef's compliments. So we both did a prefix. So we both get like our own appetizer. And then we got two more appetizers. And then it would be like, we got our two sides and two more sides. And we had this phenomenal steak. I mean, it was like the longest meal ever. He called over the sommelier. We got a bottle of wine. And I just, I don't even remember the food. I just remember being like, man, this is a lot and it's very good. And this is an amazing experience. And the experience. And I think that's one thing that's in common with me going to Mira. It was um, a Sunday night. They didn't have any more reservations open, but they said, you can sit at the bar. So my friend and I, we went to go sit at the bar. We like chit-chatted with the bartender. That's my favorite. So nice to us. It was just a great experience, atmosphere. And like, you know, I kind of like breezed over the food earlier, but it's kind of like the food was great, you know, but I think it was that overall experience of what makes it so memorable. Yeah. Odd Duck in Austin. We sat at the bar area and we got to like watch everything going on in the kitchen. And that is like my favorite thing ever to sit at a restaurant and see what's going on in the kitchen. And they made this Meyer lemon dessert. It had like Meyer lemon ice cream with something else. I can't even remember. It was so delicious. But the gal putting it together, like didn't do something correctly. And the pastry chef came to like check her before she sent out the dish. She's like, no, do it over. And I was like, I'll, I'll take the defective dessert. Yeah, Whatever's so defective, I. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, I'll take an extra. I bring it here. Uh, yeah, I really wish when we went to Austin that it was in the summertime. Like, I yes, feel like the, the summer menu, menu would be better. better. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Because I feel like those flavor profiles jive more with me than like the fall one. Yes, I took Rock to Odd Duck for her bachelorette two years ago. But Laundrette and those biscuits. Oh, mm-hmm. Laundrette and those mm-hmm. biscuits. So delicious. <laughs> what is the longest line you've waited in for food? See, there's Palace Buffet, four hours. <laughs> Four freaking hours. Wait, and, and was mind it new you, or just reopened? Well, so mom and I went two weeks after they opened. And the line wasn't that long because it was like brand new. And we went on like on a weekday, I think. But then the second time we went was four months after they opened. Went to Vegas again. And we went with the family. 
we thought we were smart getting in line early before like we actually really wanted to eat. And that line was already so long and we did not eat. We got in what? Maybe like 930 and the buffet closes at 10. Holy smokes. Wait, yeah. did they stop making food? No, they still made it because they stopped letting people in at oh, 10. I see. But you I were see. still eating. I see. I mean, four freaking hours. But you know, I was committed because that first time was so good. And then now I was so excited to share with like our family and with like our extended family too, like all eating. So we, we had a party of like, what, like 15 people. Why wasn't I there? Because you were too cool for school. Gosh, there's so many times where I'm like, where was I? I was not there. Yeah. So well, I've never tried. I haven't tried a lot of the buffets that you guys have tried. You because... know, I would say now, like, you're not not really missing anything with either. Now, actually, I would still go. I, I, I would still go. Yeah. Um, but would it be a place that I personally, having now gone three times? No, I would not. The longest line that I, is separate from a buffet, because I'm sure I was there for some of the family lines, was State Bird Provisions in San Francisco. So I think it's like in Little Tokyo, and we couldn't get a reservation, but they had said if you're there right when they open and you're there early enough that they'll take walk-ins. So of course, P was like, let's walk there. I swear to God, it was like a 40-minute walk from our hotel to get there. And then we waited in line for two and a half hours, like before it even opened up. So we're just like lined up, and there's these other people lined up with us. It was freezing. It was windy. It was such a great meal, but... I would say two and a half, almost three hours we waited. Yeah. So when I was in Toronto the next day, I ended up going to the Pad Thai place and, you know, they only opened for dinner. Yeah. So people have the huge line. So I waited, but I don't think it was, was maybe an hour. That wasn't too bad. But most recently that Korean freaking corn dog place in Tempe, we waited like, it was probably an hour or two, but... But you I went on a date. It was so unexpected. It was opening weekend. It's I mean, still popping. I just happened. I just happened to go opening weekend, came across it, and then waited. But they were running a promo too, like a buy one, get one or something. Yeah, buy one, get one. Yeah. Buy one, get one free. So anyways, if you want Korean corn dog, it's a cool thing. It's in Tempe. Check it out. Yes. It's called Two Hands. Because <laughs> you need two hands to eat the corn dog. Har, har, har. Har, har, har. Yeah, but you weren't a huge fan of it. I took one bite. Well, actually, like, not that you weren't a huge fan of it. You just It's just not what you eat. Like, yeah, you know, I would just never eat that. Profile, yeah. All right, folks. Well, that is a wrap for this week's episode. As you can see from our energetic discussion, we do really love food. And we'll just talk about food for hours. I think our entire family feels that way. Yeah. We're definitely the type of people that live to eat. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And we hope that you're liking everything on our Instagram. So be sure to like all of our content and make sure you're following us and rating and reviewing the podcast as well. And so for next week's episode, we're going to talk about pet peeves, phobias, and our personalities. So that'll be a fun episode. Join us again next week. Toodles! Toodles.